Alright, let's do this. How are you data scientists and engineers? How are you business people? What's up nerds? Did you grasp that thing you were studying? This is Data Science at Home, the podcast about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more good stuff. I am Francesco, I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes, so grab a cup of coffee and join me as we learn more about the topics we love most. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, your host. Today's gonna be quite interesting, actually very interesting. It's one of the rare moments in which I have in front of me the author of the library that I've been personally using in the last month, <laughs> a few months, and uh, I'm speaking about a very important crate. Uh, crate is equivalent of package in the Rust jargon. Uh, I'm with the author of Polars. Welcome to Richie Vink. Hi, Richie. How are you doing? Yes. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm very glad to have you here on the show. I'm pretty sure that the followers of this episode and of the podcast in general will definitely love to to hear more about what Polars is and uh, uh, what you have been working on so far. So do you mind introducing yourself to the followers of uh, Data Science at Home podcast? Yeah. Hi. Well, um, my name is Richie Fink. I'm just a, a guy <laughs> who, uh, who has a background in data science, machine learning. Um, I uh, like to implement algorithms from scratch and blog about them. Um, and I did this quite often. Um, and then there was the thing we all know, COVID, and there was some sort of a, uh, there was a lockdown and I needed a project. So uh, um, that's how I uh, started. Um, I like to do climbing, bouldering, um, but during the <laughs> during the last year, my, my hobby uh, was yeah, mostly inside, staying inside and coding because the, it's the only thing I was allowed to do, sort of. <laughs> so in fact, lockdown has been quite terrible for many people in the world, of course. And uh, yeah. quite quite good for you, I must say, because you have it has been probably one of the most productive years, if I can say. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. It was uh, good for my projects, uh, not too good for my relationship. Sometimes it, uh, my girlfriend wasn't too happy about me zoning in the computer too much. Uh, but yeah, it was very productive. <laughs> cool. All right. So before we get into the details of uh, you know some. Uh, architectural choices that you have made with the with the Polar's uh, crate. Uh, shall we speak a bit about uh, the biggest challenges when it comes to designing a new library for data manipulation? What was that you had to face uh, even before typing code, Rust code, in fact? I did some research on, on Pandas and um, was thinking a bit about, okay, what does Pandas miss? So Pandas misses um, good missing data handling. Uh, Pandas is quite far from the metal. Um, so Pandas uses Cyton to be more close to the metal, but uh, then you still have to, to deal with the Python global, inter uh, global interpreter lock. So it's very hard to really parallelize in Pandas. And if you think about what machines in this generation can do, uh, we all have multiple cores on our machines. We all have uh, a lot of power, which is sort of um, not used. When I was using Python, I always saw that one thread was 
fully occupied and it was always 12% of my total capacity. Uh, there was, this is when I'm using pandas. So I was hoping to, to, to be able to make a data, data manipulation tool which, you can, which can utilize all threads and all the possible resources that your CPU has to offer. Um, yeah, that was sort of the goal. Right. And, and this brings, of course, you know, parallelism is uh, an, a very important topic, especially with the, you know, modern hardware. Um, but also it brings us, you know, to so-called thread safe uh, execution, right? Uh, where mm -hmm. I believe Rust is or can play a, a fundamental role. So uh, what does that mean, you know, thread safe and uh, why is it important? Yeah, thread safe means that um, you don't have deadlocks or uh, um, multiple threads writing to the same data, and then you can have uh, yeah, undefined behavior. You cannot trust uh, if two threads write to the same data source and another thread reads it, the data you read uh, can be changed, and this is uh, pro problematic to say the least. So thread safety is um, one important to have uh, outcomes you can trust. That's one thing. Thread safety is also important for the programmer. Um, for instance, in C++ or in Go, uh, any other thread, any other language in which you can use threads, but don't have a borrower checker which helps you writing thread-safe code. Uh, yeah, you can walk into deadlocks, for instance, and then it can be really hard to debug. Uh, uh, the code you write. So in Rust, you have the borrower checker which looks looks at your code and tells you uh, that this code cannot deadlock, which is very powerful. And I think it's um, in Rust, it's way easier to write multi-threaded code than in C++ or in uh, in GoLang, for instance. Right. So your code will simply not compile and you just have to fix it, you know, at compile time. Indeed. Right? So the, the borrower checker will scream at me. Um, <laughs> this only is, is not the case when, when you work with Python because Python has the glo has global interpreter lock and Rust cannot see right. what happens on the Python side. Right. Well, but all my Rust code is, uh, yeah, sure. thread safe. So, well, in fact, the, the borrow checker is screaming at a lot of people these days, uh, uh, even to mm -hmm. Andy Grove, the, uh, the author of uh, Apache Arrow and, uh, and Ballista Compute, uh, Compute Engine, I think it's called. Uh, so there is some overlap between you two guys. Uh, <laughs> that is, you both use as Arrow as a backend, right? Um, now, my question to you is, what's special with Arrow? Yeah, Arrow is, um, I see it sort of as a, um, a database middleware, database middleware software. So it's not really, uh, not really designed for end users like Polars is or uh, Andy Grove's Ballista, but more about more for the database designers or the data frame library designers. Um, Arrow is a, um, a memory model which has the goal to be shared with many languages and many processes and because we all have, have the same memory model we can just share pointers so um, we can have a process in c or a process in java or a process in javascript or in rust and if we all use arrow then we can just share pointers to each other and um, yeah you you can use that uh, a data frame 
in those languages. So you can have a C backend with a JavaScript frontend, for for instance, without any memory. Right. So it's a, like a, it's like something to it's a common layer for communication, right? Yes, that's among different users. Okay. Yeah, but they also have very cache efficient uh, data structures, um, and um, it's it's becoming uh, sort of the accepted uh, memory model for all database machine learning related columnar data. Right. So I think by choosing Arrow, um, Arrow has a big future, I believe. So by choosing Arrow, you can uh, connect to a lot of different tools in the future. Um, right. And, and so uh, I, I want to be a bit critical here. Can, can the Polars project survive without Apache Arrow? Well, we got a lot from Arrow. Um, it's now so intertwined with Arrow that it will be very hard to get it out. That would be a very large refactor. Uh, it could be, <laughs> um, it could also be done um, without Arrow, but then uh, it would be more work. Um, so Arrow has thought of, okay, what, what kind sure. of data types do we need for data frame library? And um, they, they provide kernels to do fast aggregation, but there's also a lot of stuff that is still done in, um, in Polars, but I must say I learned a lot from the Arrow code base because I, I started from scratch in, in, in data frames and databases. I didn't know anything about it, and the Arrow code base uh, was good guidance. Wow, well that's that's a, a great achievement I must say because Polars is probably one of the fastest, if not the fastest, data frame manipulation library out there as we speak. <laughs> I mean, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something to be proud of, to be proud of for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was. A, it's quite a rabbit hole, and every time I think, "Wow, uh, wow, we're getting faster," and I don't see it getting faster anymore. But then you find another thing you can tune and <laughs> you can do better. And I learned a lot of performance critical coding. How you do that? Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that that's that's amazing. I mean, I've seen some of the benchmarks that you published probably in one of your blog posts, and and it's it's terrific. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So well, there are other faults, of course, building on top of Arrow. Uh, one of those is the author of uh, Arrow himself, uh, Andy, uh, is building Ballista. Um, now, of course, Polars and Ballista are quite different products. Uh, what are these key differences, if you can, uh, if you can expand on that? Yeah, um, I I know about data fusion and Ballista. Um, I, I think I also understand what their goals are. I must say um, I haven't used them, so maybe I I don't take it as the truth what I'm saying. But in my what I believe is is that data fusion is sort of a query engine. You write SQL um, and they have a data frame API, but it isn't too well um, formed yet. It's, it's, it's in development, but I think uh, it has a lazy query engine, which does a query optimization. And yeah, it, it does query execution on your machine. And Ballista builds on to data fusion and uh, wants to be the next part, so really distributed compute. Um, Polars is in another area. I think Polars is more in the data frame, in the machine learning, in how data scientists use data frames. 
So it's all on a single machine. Um, it, it should fit in memory, and if it doesn't fit in memory, Polars isn't the tool for you. Um, so, so, so that's yeah. what I wanted to say. So that's a yeah, it's a different target. Um, so if you want to make a direct comparison with what people understand today, uh, I would say from Python ecosystem, yeah, Pandas is probably the the most direct comparison that we can make with Polars, right? Um, yes, from, indeed. I think it's. Um, only it can be a better pandas because we also do query optimization, which pandas does not. So pandas just executes it eagerly, and Polars okay. um, just takes a look at your query and sees it if if it can restructure it to do it smarter. So this query optimization thing is is actually intriguing me because uh, what you are actually doing is uh, um, having a compute graph, right? That then you optimize. Is that correct? Indeed. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so and so this optimization part is done manually, like you have a, a, another library that you have written or do you use something already written by someone else? How does that optimization part work? No, that's native in Polars. So um, we store a, a query plan or a syntax tree from your query. And then we uh, use um, predicate pushdown optimization, projection pushdown optimization and some simple optimization rules and um, I'm that's what's currently in there and uh, I hope to build this optimizer even further and maybe start doing cost-based optimization in the future um, but yeah we have this query plan and um, uh, yeah, there are some rules we can use to modify this query plan to for instance uh, join filters together instead of keeping them separate or do a projection before a join so that you have less columns in your join operation so it would be faster that right. kind of stuff or filtering for example on a column and so you have less rows and of course the join Indeed. or the group by would take less time these type of optimizations yeah. interesting and uh, and uh, and so and this is something that also uh, i believe data fusion does right yes yes so in that that's respect, kind of, that's very similar. Yeah. Okay. And uh, do you guys support? So how many people are involved in the Polars project as we speak today? I'm the the, the main contributor. Uh, there there is some some pop up help here and there, um, and I'm trying to get more com contributors. But uh, I'm I'm having, I, I do have some colleagues, but uh, <laughs> it's they hard. Are more in the Python side and. Well, the Rust is quite a hurdle for the for them to uh, to right. join. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I hope I, I'm getting more. <laughs> the reason I'm asking is because I believe that the the query optimization, the query plan, and the optimization on that side could be definitely uh, you know be considered a separate project from the Polar's core, right? And can be eventually you know you can parallelize the contribution in that in that respect. Is that correct? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I must say, there was also a contributor um, halfway during the Polars project who contributed quite a lot on query planning. He now contributes mostly to Arrow, but he initiated, for instance, um, a framework to do query optimization, which is uh, inspired by Apache Spark's um, um, Catalyst uh, optimizer. So now we have uh, the Catalyst optimizer makes it easier to add rules. So you have a 
an optimizer and you can add different rules and then you use pattern matching to apply those rules to the query plan. So that's in the Polis project. Right. Um, and people can contribute to, contribute that, to that. You don't have to know the whole project to modify the Yeah. Right, that's what I meant, cool. Uh, there is another important factor that I found uh, with the Polar crate, which is um, bindings to Python bindings, right? Uh, so you can, if you are a Python developer and you want to use uh, the Polar crate, you don't need to know Rust, you can use Python, right? So how does that yes. work? Uh, yeah, uh, so Rust um, has a, a very good crate, uh, which is called PyoTree, which makes it very easy to create Python bindings. And it, uh, the, the thing I like it is that it makes it easy to get started and you get more advanced while you're using it. So while you're using it, you know how to uh, maybe do some extra reference counting in, in Python or, or use more the CFFI. But the, the barrier of entrance is very, really low, so you can really easily ex, um, uh, expose your crate, your, your Rust crate, to the Python uh, ecosystem and um, this is a very easy start to yeah to just speed up your python code um, right and did you did you respect the the pandas api like did you replicate that or is it completely new um so polars is a bit um it's it's got two apis you've got, you've got an eager api which is similar to pandas you just execute something and it happens and we have the lazy api which does the uh, the computation graph, and then it optimizes that graph. And the eager API does look very much like pandas, um, but I don't respect it totally. I don't believe the pandas API is that good to be that uh, rigid about it. And I hope to to be able to make a better API. Uh, but I saw that there is a, a very nicely written uh, uh, book you call the book. <laughs> so that yeah. the Python programmer can essentially read the documentation, and it's it's pretty. I find I found it very very easy to to proceed with the you know Python binding and uh, uh, you know yes just try and enjoy the performance of Polar's backend. And what I want is um, that the Python API is almost an exact copy of the Rust API because then you can prototype Python, and if you want to go to production and you want to have maximal performance, you can just go to Rust with minimal effort and use the same syntax, in, but then right. Rust syntax. Exactly. Well, now that we spoke about lazy compute, uh, how does Polars compare with the uh, Dask, for example, uh, still in the Python ecosystem? I did use Dask, but then for the NumPy stuff. So Dask, Dask has NumPy arrays, um, but I think Dask is or out of core handling, right? For data that doesn't fit in memory. Correct. Yeah. So I think Dusk is more similar in that case to Ballista, maybe. Um, but I can imagine that because Dusk does use out of core handling, but Python is not really good in multi-threading. So I think there's a lot of serialization and deserialization overhead there. Um, I think for maximum performance for in-memory data, I cannot imagine the Dusk performs well. So I think we have different goals. Yeah. Polars really wants to be really fast and uh, for in-memory data. Right. Well, I've seen Dusk being 
terrible with respect to pandas itself on a certain type of data and one data is not large enough of course uh reason for which the yeah. dask community highly recommends to use pandas whenever things fit in memory and leave dask to uh, very very large uh large data sets or data frames um makes sense yeah uh, richie if you wanted to let's say convince the typical python data scientist to migrate to polars or to try polars what would you say how would you mesmerize him <laughs> <laughs> i think um Every generation of hardware um, has its tools which fits best for that point in time. Um, I think Pandas is from a time when single-threaded computation um, was was the the norm. And how long do we have Pandas? A year, tw twelve years, or something? Uh, I think everybody now has multi multiple process multiple cores. And um, if you want to have maximum performance. Um, and I think Pandas is used a lot in APIs and still in, in stuff that need to uh, respond quickly. I think Polars can be interesting for that. And also um, when we get data out of Parquet, for instance, it's directly in arrow memory format. So the bigger arrow gets, the, the better it is to use tools which use arrow as a memory format. So you can uh, communicate with those tools very right. easily. Well, there is another optimization that you took care of, uh, which is SIMD instructions, right? Single instruction, multiple data. Am I, am I right? Um, yes. Now, yeah. uh, well, if you can expand on that and why is it important? Uh, and then my last question about SIMD is, uh, did you leverage Apache Arrow for that as well? Or did you implement that part yourself? Um, for SIMD, I leverage Apache Arrow. Um, it you, it uses it a lot um, for things like sum, summing and doing aggregations, for instance, or, well, it uses it a lot. That's all I have to say. SIMD, uh, as you mentioned, uh, stands for single instruction, multiple data. Uh, this is a, um, uh, this is a sort of instruction used by your CPU. Uh, that's different than the standard way of doing a floating point, a floating point arithmetic, for instance. Normal floating point arithmetic arithmetics is single instruction, single data. So your CPU takes one number and multiplies it with another number in um, a fixed amount of CPU cycles. Let's say it takes three CPU cycles. With SIMD, it can take not a single number, but a whole vector of numbers in the same amount of CPU cycles. So um, instead of doing a single operation, it does a single operation on a vector of data. And the wider the vector, the more parallelization you have for free instance on the CPU itself. Um, so um, it can have a parallelization of uh, a speed up of uh, 16x, 16 times or something like that. It depends on the CPUs you've got. Um, the programming for that is a bit more complex because you have to do different programming. You, have to program um, with those vector line, lanes in mind, um, and you need to process them. You can also imagine that not the whole array doesn't fit, isn't isn't divided in all those vector lanes. So you also need to uh, process the results that don't fit in all those lanes, the remaining parts, I must say. Um, and then you have the problem that every CPU has different 
different width registers. So in Rust, they are um, being, they're working to, uh, to stabilizing um, an abstraction for that, that you can use one single data type or data structured um, abstraction, which you can, in which it's easier to do SIMD operations. That's what I'm gonna say. Right. And so there would be like uh, the compiler that would take care of that for uh, a particular target, right? Yes. So um, um, for Python, for instance, we cannot do that. If we compile to Python, I compile to every very, very uh, conservatively so that all CPUs also run this. But if you want to, if you use Rust, you can compile for your singles, your single target, only the CPU you've got. And then you can fully utilize all the CPU, all the SIMD registers you've got. And to come back to your question, um, I utilize Arrow for this. Arrow has the, the SIMD instructions uh, programmed. Polars only uses it um, if they, sometimes I have a different view on what a kernel should do, for instance. Um, for instance, with regard to um, um, the min kernel with missing data. So some kernels are implemented by Polars itself, and then it, Polars also uses SIMD. Um, but if I can, I use Arrow. Okay, are there other forms of parallelization, like uh, uh, in the Rust ecosystem, there is uh, a crate like Rayon that allows you to do, you know, parallel loops um, or parallel iterations. Yeah. Uh, is that something possible also in Polars? Uh, actually, it's it's used a lot um, in Polars already. So we use um, a thread pool. So when you start Polars, there's a fixed thread pool. Um, which is equal to the number of uh, cores you've got in your machine. And then whenever something can be easily parallelized without, uh, without paying a price of threads communicating, we throw it on the thread pool and then we split it. For instance, if you do a sum on every column, every column can do the sum aggregation independently of each other. So yeah, let's right. do this on multiple threads. Um, cool. And so each thread is assigned to one single core. And so you can scale essentially depending on how many cores you have on board, right? Yes. And, um, but we can throw more work on there because Rayon uses work stealing parallelism. Oh yeah. And then we just utilize our course as much as possible. And this is very clear with, um, the de benchmark, uh, where Polars does so well, this is, a uh, on a 40 CPU machine and if you see the the um, if you run this benchmark on the on such a machine, then you see <laughs> the the tools that do bad don't utilize parallelism. And if you see forty cores and you see only one being used, you understand why it will be slow because <laughs> it's ideal when you yeah. see all those cores uh, utilized. But it's also Easy. hard because yeah. it cannot. There are there are parts in your query that you cannot parallelize that easily well i see that uh, in um, in polars there is a a method uh, to convert a data frame to a nd array uh, which is also another good crate in the rust ecosystem uh, which essentially allows you to convert the data frame indeed to an array now what are the benefits of such a conversion um i think interoperability with nd array and array is a a utilized crate that's utilized by uh, other 
um, by other crates a lot. And it's not always, but if we can do this without copying, for instance, if we don't have missing data, then we can just give you a view to an ND array, and then you can use all the functionality without copying data. So that, that's a free, free bonus, a free API. Yeah, indeed. So there is no, there should be no performance improvement, but just to represent data in a different way so that someone else might be using ND arrays and you have a zero cost abstraction, in fact, which is yes. what Rust wants to have all the time. <laughs> yes, indeed. And um, ND array is better in doing ND array stuff. Um, so, so I only want to focus on the data frame library stuff and we want to do arithmetic, but maybe if you do, Let's say you want to do a matrix and you want to compute the inverse. I don't think that's a data frame operation that should be on a matrix. So I think that's something for ND array. So each crate will be specialized in its own operation. And so what you want to provide is an interoperability uh, mechanism that indeed allows you to exploit that particular crate specifically designed for that particular operation, right? Indeed. Uh, I try to summarize this for, for uh, you know, people who are not really familiar with uh, Rust and, uh, and crates and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's important that you only do your core thing. And because you write your library, you also know the most you know what's the best way to go to the other data structure with less, with least overhead. And if you leave that up to the user, uh, because he didn't write the library, he maybe does a conversion that's not optimal. Of course, of course, um, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Richie, what's the state of Polars as we speak? Uh, what is mature? Uh, what is missing? Uh, what's the state of the project? Currently, the master is most stable. Um, I the, the 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 crate itself that's published. Uh, I wouldn't. I would recommend to use the master um, because I can only publish that once Arrow is published. Um, but I think all eager the 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 standard data frame operations like some uh, group by join that's stable. It's well tested. Um, the query optimization is becoming more and more stable. Um, you can trust it. The, the result is, is, is correct, um, but there can be done more optimizations maybe. Um, then do we, we have stuff about uh, temporal um, stuff, like doing stuff with time series. Uh, that's, there's still a lot to do there because time series, you have time, conversion, time zones, um, a lot of a lot of methods that quants want to use, which are not there yet, <laughs> it's getting it's getting used more and more, and I'm getting a lot of feedback and a lot of issues which stabilize it more every day. I must say, it's stabilizing rapidly. I must say because it's it's really getting picked up at the moment. Yes, absolutely, and I hope that after this episode, you will have uh, you will gain some more contributors out there. <laughs> yeah, it would um, be cool. <laughs> so, uh, Richie, you, would you like to uh, maybe uh, give us some of your contacts? Where, where can people find you online, of course, uh, or how can they contribute to Polars if they wanted to? Um, yeah, sure. So the Polars project is on GitHub. Uh, um, I think if you Google Polars, I can also give you the URL. It's got github slash Richie 46 slash Polars. And um, I have a website or a blog about things that I find interesting at that point in time. Um, maybe the interest 
uh, is not there anymore that much, but uh, there's also a blog, richievink.com. Um, and uh, yeah, there are postings of, of stuff I, uh, I do. Cool. Of course, we will report the links in the show notes of this episode at uh, the official website, datasciencesatom.com. Uh, Richie, it was really great to have you here on the show. I'm pretty sure that the audience, the followers of uh, uh, Data Science Atom podcast will uh, uh, take advantage of this amazing uh, library, crate, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's really cool stuff. So thank you very much for your contributions. Yes, thank you. And thanks for having me. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.